Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, everyone. It's Fee here. Happy Thursday. Another re-released episode, and I have a question for you. Do you struggle to know what to look for when you're watching horses in the mountain yard? Well, this week's re-released episode is the perfect one for you to listen back to. We interview the amazing, talented Jane Ivel about what to look for in the mountain yard. So enjoy this one, guys, and we'll be back again next week. Field is ready. They're racing in the Oaks. We are back. Happy Thursday, friends. Welcome to today's episode. I'm Fiona Blair. And I'm Grace Ramage. And thank you all for joining us once again on Ladies Who Punt. Grace, massive episode today. One I have really been looking forward to as today we are decoding the mountain yard. But before we get stuck into that, we better just clarify that we are actually in different locations today. For the first yeah. time on Ladies Who Punt, we aren't using our DIY sound booth. Yeah, I miss the squishy surrounds of that <laughs> DIY sound booth. Uh, but you're right, Fee, we are doing this over Zoom. So please excuse us, everybody listening, if our audio isn't as crisp as it usually is. But I've been in Adelaide for the Magic Millions yearling sale the past couple of days. So it uh, has been a busy few days, but very happy to now be back doing Ladies Who Punt because, as you say, I'm very excited about this episode it's one that we've been looking forward to for a while yeah the mountain yard is an important part of a punter's toolkit so it's going to be great to be covering it all today especially because we have a very special guest drumroll grace who is our special guest today well we've been spooking who it might be and it is the one and only Jane Ivel. Yay! Yay! So good. <laughs> I'm so excited to have her on. I mean, you guys are great pals, obviously, but I've never met Jane. So, and as a fellow Kiwi, I'm like, oh my God, Jane Ivel. So excited. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be very good. So, a lot of people will know who Jane is. Um, I've worked with her on racing.com for many years now, and she's one of my good friends, but she is an absolute expert when it comes to the mounting yard and mounting yard analysis. And, you know, so many people that watch racing broadcasts on racing.com or Channel 7 or Sky, um, they will see on a Saturday that there is a mounting yard analyst who gives their tip and also gives their commentary for the horses. Um, but we really want to be able to decode and decipher what they are trying to tell us when they mention certain things that they either like or they dislike. So that is going to be what we put to Jane today as our expert for this topic. Yeah, that's going to be really helpful. I can't wait to hear from her. And after we talk to Jane, we will be doing our Saturday preview Now, this week we are mixing things up a bit. Instead of previewing a group of races this Saturday, we are going to be focusing on just one, the All-Star Mile. And in looking at that race, we will be applying all of the knowledge from all of our episodes so far. But for now, it's time to introduce our very special guest, Jane Ivel. 
Hi, Jane. Thanks so much for joining us today. We are so stoked to have you here to help us decode mountain yards. Uh, you are a well-qualified expert to have this week as you are best known for your mountain yard assessments for the top race day broadcast on racing.com. And as we mentioned earlier, you are just so good at it. At the moment, though, you don't grace our screens as you have stepped away from the camera and into maternity leave for your second baby. So first of all, how is that going? How are Pippa and Luca and how is maternity leave this time around? Yeah, look, they are both um, very well. And thank you both for having me on the podcast. It's a pleasure to join you and uh, try and uh, explain and decipher what I do um, on a daily basis when I am at work. But uh, maternity leave has been very nice, I must say. It's been really great to be at home with the kids and they grow so fast that it is just really nice to try and soak up for as long as I possibly can. But I will be back gracing the screens at racing.com very shortly. Oh, we're so glad to hear it. The first question I have for you today, Jane, is how did you come to be a mountain yard presenter for racing.com? I guess for me, I was lucky in the sense that I have had a grounding within the racing industry my entire life because of my family's involvement. So um, my grandfather was a premiership winning trainer in New Zealand. My father trained, my mother even trained at one point. So from the time that I can remember as a child, um, racing was a huge part of my life. So I grew up with the thoroughbred, um, obviously learned how to ride um, and basically just took in as much as I could for uh, most of my childhood. And it was probably wasn't until, as much as I enjoyed the horses and enjoyed riding, it probably wasn't until I was in my early 20s that I actually decided I wanted to make a career out of um, working in the industry. I'd always ridden track work and worked at the, in the stables in my school holidays and things like that. But I actually decided quite late on that I would do a jockey's apprenticeship. So that's when I went full-time um, into the stable and I did about 18 months. But the, the reality is if you take a look at me, I'm far too big to be a jockey and I struggled a little bit with my weight. Um, I rode a few winners in my time, but I only you lasted sell about 18 don't. months. <laughs> Don't sell yourself short, Jane. You rode some good wins, including one on a very special mare um, to you in Sea Change, who was a really good mare in New Zealand. So don't sell yourself short there. <laughs> well, she was. She was a, an amazing racehorse. She was twice New Zealand Horse of the Year, and she was a seven-time Group 1 winner in New Zealand. And I was lucky enough, um, and it's probably where the media stuff started, I was very lucky that... When I finished riding, she actually embarked on a campaign overseas where she um, competed at both um, the Dubai World Cup Carnival in Dubai and um, at Royal Ascot and during the July meeting in the UK. So I spent six months overseas with her and I did a lot of media when I was overseas with her. And so when I came back to New Zealand, the racing channel in New Zealand approached me about going and working for them. And what they did was built a fantastic opportunity for me where I did a broadcasting cadetship, which meant that I learned every aspect of broadcasting. And after a few years of doing sort of the ground level stuff, I then started to do some of the on-camera stuff. So I was doing studio shifts in New Zealand, which is a lot like Sky 1 and 2 um, in Australia. And I used to do the mounting yard for our major carnivals. And I also used to do the horseback jockey interviews for our major carnivals in New Zealand 
Um, and then five years ago, I was approached by racing.com to come over and do their mounting yard. So basically to answer your question is I have been um, around horses my entire life, learning about horses my whole life and really intrigued about what makes a horse tick and how to make them work the best way they can for you. So I've always been really intrigued by their behavior and their mannerisms and all that sort of thing. All right, Jane, let's get straight into it now. And the first question is on a holistic level, and I know this is going to be really hard to sort of answer concisely, but what are you looking for in the mounting yard, the good and the bad? So I think the easiest way to explain it is that every horse is is different. They're all very different. And I think to be successful at um, the job in the mounting yard is you do have to build a profile on each individual horse. It's not ever about who the best looking horse is in the field or the best type or the or any one thing. It's it is holistic, as you say, and it's about finding the horse on their day at their very best on that day. Um, so that takes a bit of time to build profiles on horses and it's about knowing what they do on race day and what is normal for them, how they look when they walk, their fitness levels, their behavior. And once you, you know a horse at their peak and at their best, then that's what you're looking for. You're looking for a horse that comes to the races at their absolute best or a horse that has improved or doing something better than they've done it in the past. That's really interesting, Jane, because I think a lot of people would assume that you would talk us through having, you know, certain mannerisms or having a loose walk or, you know, other things that we hear mounting yard commentators say. But basically what you're telling us is that um, there is no textbook checklist that if the horse does all these things it means that they are ready to win it really does come down to what is normal for each and every horse so are there specific things that you can tell us that might be normal for one horse for example that's good and bad I guess um, one of the biggest things is a horse that gets themselves a little bit warm on race day so in general and you'll hear mounting yard analysts say it a lot a horse that is getting worked up is one we would generally look past because of the energy that they're using while they're in the mounting yard but you do learn which horses will still perform behaving like that and then you get horses that um, behave like that because mentally they're a little bit immature and they haven't quite learned how to cope with race day and you may see them come back next preparation and they're so much more relaxed and quiet in the yard and they're the things we're looking for those changes those um things that that may help improve a horse's performance going forward so yeah one thing that is good for another horse is not always you know good for another and getting worked up in the yard certainly one of those I mean, personally, I love horses that are nice and relaxed on race day because it means they are saving energy. I like a horse that drops its head down in the mounting yard. It's a sign that they're relaxed and and really happy and comfortable in their environment. When we talk about a horse that has got a nice, loose action, it just means that they're supple and that they can stretch out and they're using their body properly. And that is an indication that they're feeling good and that there's, you know, nothing... um, obvious within their sort of skeleton that would suggest they're a bit muscle bound or a bit tight but in saying that you get poor walkers that win races so again it's just about making notes to say this horse doesn't walk well but it doesn't affect its performance. Jane just on the horses that get a little bit hot you talked about the behavior could you just describe some of the behavior 
Like what are they actually physically doing that makes you go, oh, they're a bit worked up? I think a horse that um, is heavily perspiring. It's okay for a horse to perspire on race day, particularly a warm race day. It's when you can literally see sweat dripping off of them or foam. Um, That's sort of a little bit of an issue because they are using up a lot of energy to do that. A horse that gets really agitated in the yard, there's a difference between a horse getting up on their toes and feeling well and a horse that looks agitated. And I think they're just signs of throwing their head around or um, stomping feet and and just just little signs that I think it's really hard to explain that for people to watch. It's just knowing basically what an agitated horse looks like. And once they get agitated and fidgety, it means they're not focusing on what it is that they're supposed to be doing. And when you are building a profile, do you just have that all in your head? I wish I could remember. I wish I could. Um, Obviously, the pool of horses in Victoria is very large and it changes from season to season. So there are always the memorable horses that you'll, you'll just know. And I write notes on everything, but you never have to. Like, I'll see a horse in the race book and I'll write the notes next to it, but I don't need to refer to anything to write my notes because I just know the horse. And some just stick in your mind. Others don't. I could have seen a horse three times and I look at the race book and I go, God, I can't remember anything about you. So... I um, I do have a database that I fill in after every race meeting. So when I'm in the yard looking at the horses, I'm making notes on them as I'm watching them. To begin with, I always make notes about what a horse looks like physically so that if there's any development between preparations, I can make note of it. Just little things like a horse that lacks a bit of a top line or they're a little bit weak across the hind quarter. I'll make notes about that so that if there is some significant maturing and developing between preparations, then that's positive. It means the horse has had a good break, they've strengthened up, and that generally means that they're an improved horse coming back the next preparation. So um, I always make notes about what they look like physically. And then the, the rest of the notes are very basic. What, what is their fitness level at? What is their behavior? Um, and how do they walk? And I basically stick to those three things and then I can make comparisons. So Jane, there's a really interesting word that you've just used and a couple of buzzwords that we'll hear a lot from mounting yard analysts like yourself. And it all is to do with a horse's fitness and how tight they're presenting in the mounting yard. So to, act, to go to that next level in terms of our education to our audience, when you are assessing a horse's fitness, how do you do that? What exactly are you looking for to assess where a horse is at in its fitness on race day? I guess the things you're looking for an improvement in horses' fitness is that they are tightening up. So they're carrying a little bit of weight around their belly. They tighten up, um, particularly up into their flank. Um, and the definition of their muscles become more prominent. So it, like any human athlete that works and gets fitter, your muscles become more prominent. So that's a big one. And I use that term a lot in the mounting yard, by being able to see the definition through their muscles down their shoulder, across their hind quarter. I use that a lot. But that is an indication of a horse's fitness and probably more so than around their midsection because there are horses that are just built big and carry a barrel on race day and you're never going to be able to see any ribs. It doesn't matter how fit they get, you're not going to be able to see any ribs in their midsection. So muscle definition is a huge thing for me. But another thing for fitness also comes down to their behavior. So a horse that 
goes to the races and are a little bit fresh, which often means that there's some improvement to come. They're not quite there. They know they're not quite there. That's why they get up on their toes a little bit. They get a bit warm. So getting hot when they're first up in a campaign can indicate as well that they've got improvement to come. But for me, it comes down to just definition. The horse becomes much more defined. That makes a lot of sense, Jane. And you're right. I've heard you say muscle definition many times in the mounting yard. So I hope that that you know, continues to help people understand exactly what to look for. What about two more topics in terms of mounting yard analysis? A horse's coat and also a horse's confirmation. How much emphasis are we putting on to both of those topics in terms of what's good and what's bad for each horse? Um, I don't weigh too much on confirmation because as I said they all come in many shapes and sizes and it doesn't often impact on the way they perform I think for for um for a general statement and I am being very general because horses break the rules all the time um just like a human athlete a 100 meter sprinter is built very differently to a um 10,000 meter distance runner. So, so a horse is built differently. That's why you'll often talk about people saying, oh, they're a speed type or they're a staying type. So um, that confirmation I take notice of in the mounting yard um, in terms of a sprinter being much more shorter across the back, short coupled. Um, so that means the space between their wither and their hind quarter is quite short. Um, and they often have big, powerful hindquarters and are just generally a more muscular, balanced type of horse. And whereas stayers are a lot longer across the back, a lot leaner through the body, um, probably don't carry quite as much weight as a sprinting horse does. So that kind of confirmation I take note of um, if I'm trying to decide if a horse is, um, say they're stepping up to a mile for the first time, is it a question mark given the way they're built? or is a staying type having its first run over 1,300 metres and is probably going to need a mile before we see them at their best. So I use confirmation for those types of things, but I don't generally use confirmation to either say yes or no, a horse can't win a race because, as I said, they're built all built differently. But the coat's an interesting thing because every horse has a different body clock and their coats work like that. So obviously in the winter when it's colder, a horse grows a winter coat to keep themselves warm like any animal I mean you've got to remember that traditionally a horse is a wild animal so you know they have a body clock that works for the seasons so that's why we see horses in the yard in the winter time with long coats and horses that are clipped in the winter time as opposed to the summertime where they've got these beautiful glowing coats and that just comes down to their body clock and and when they and they've all got a different body clock so they'll lose um you know coming into the spring they'll all have different stages at, at, at losing their winter coat. Again, some horses don't lose their winter coat as quickly as others. Racing can bring that on. Fitness can bring it on. Um, same as a horse that is really healthy in the coat. The whole idea is if they're healthy on the inside, it reflects on the outside. So if they're fit and they're getting the right nutrients and the right exercise, you should outwardly be able to see that. And that's when we talk about things like glowing in the coat and dapples in their coat. Jane, through your career, who has been your favourite horse to watch parade in the mounting yard? Oh, my God. It's so hard. <laughs> so, obviously, Grace will know I have got that many favourite horses. It's not even yeah. funny. <laughs> I'm like, well, where do we start? And I say it I say it all the time. Well, obviously, this one's one of my favourites. Um, <laughs> look, 
I'm I'm going to go a couple of obvious. Um, and Winks has to be at the top of the list. I'll preface that because she is she was actually quite a plain looking horse um, in terms of um, you know there was no bling on her. There was nothing that really made her stand out in the mounting yard. But she just had a real presence and quality about her. She was very much built like an athlete. So confirmation wise, she was beautifully put together for the distances that she excelled at. And the thing with her is she just had this immense composure in the yard. The way she carried herself every time she stepped into the yard just gave you a sense of a horse that knew not only were they very good, but she was able to control whatever energy she had on a race day and save it for what she needed to do out on the track. And I know early in her campaign, she used to, she did used to get a bit fresh and, you know, particularly when we saw vision of her in her early gallops and things like that. But it was almost like she knew when she stepped foot on race day, she knew what her job was. She knew what she was there for. And her, her composure was just incredible for a racehorse. And her athleticism and her agility were just so evident in the way she moved in a mounting yard as well. So I know very obvious winks, but um, anybody that goes back and looks at the way she paraded on race day will just instantly see, um, you know, she just tucked her head on her chest and wandered around the yard like she owned it. So um, I loved assessing her on race day. The other one that I really used to love was Grunt. And he had a little bit of X factor as well, but he was quite bold and he could get himself a bit, um, you know, he used to G himself up in the yard, but his was almost like working himself up for a performance. And so I didn't mind it. He was one that used to get a little bit warm and a little bit above himself, but he just, he was like a rock star. It was like, I'm here, look at me. Um, I just, you know, he had this, um, he just rated himself when he walked into a mounting yard. And like Winks, he had that real athletic physique for a, for a mile to 2,000 metre horse. So um, I'm probably more inclined to like a horse on type um, that's built that way. But, um, yeah, Grunt was a real rock star. I loved him as well. So, Jane, we've talked all about mounting yards and what to look for, but where does the mounting yard fit in terms of punters making their selection on horses? Obviously, because I'm a mounting yard analyst, I think the mounting yard is really important. And I do because horses, they can have off days and um, form analysts can read the form and go, right, this horse is going to peak. Its numbers are suggesting it's going to peak. Everything's going right for it. But you see it in the mounting yard doing something a little bit differently to what it normally does. And you can make a decision on the spot, not something that you've researched a couple of days before and in your form analysis, it's what you're seeing right in front of you. So form is incredibly important. Um, Figures are incredibly important. But I think as a punter making a decision to spend your hard-earned money having a bet, the best (laughs) thing you can do is make sure that you have as much information as you possibly can before you make a decision. So therefore, I feel like the information you're getting on race day in the mounting yard is just as important as the form that you've done leading up to a race day. It's another tool in the toolbox and the more information you have, hopefully the better outcome you'll have when you're having a bet. And that's exactly how we see it as well, Jane, and that's why we're doing this podcast, to try and 
you know, decode each topic within the horse racing industry. And at the moment, we're really focusing on things that will help you with your form analysis to try and find the winner. So very well said on that. And look, a lot of people might just be happy to listen to what you have to say on race day and just trust you because you are an expert. And in Jane, we always do trust. But for those people that might be interested in trying to do their own uh, mounting yard analysis or come up with their own ways of profiling horses if you got any tips or pieces of advice for those people I think to start off with obviously to really do it in depth and do it well you do need to build profiles on horses but I think you can just keep it really simple if you're looking at horses in the yard yourself and there are some things that are fairly easy for people to spot um, even if it's not something that they do all the time or or look at horses all the time and those are their behavior and I as I said, even though some horses will still race well worked up, majority don't. So looking for a horse that's really nice and relaxed in the yard, they can still be walking with a lot of purpose and be alert and bright on race day. That's great. But um, I think to be safe, um, you want to look for a horse that's comfortable under race day conditions and under race day pressure. The other is uh, the way the horse walks. And not, not everybody is going to be able to pick that up straight away, but there are some things that you can look at. And, and that's watching the way their shoulder moves um, when they're walking. Are they, is it stretching out freely? Is it catching? Um, how big is their stride that they're taking when they're walking? So they're little things that they can look at in the yard. And the other thing is the overall condition of them and the health of them. And, um, you know, talking about their coats and the richness of the color and, and them having a glow to their coat, people can spot that looking over the fence in the mounting yard as well. So, um, look, if, if people start to look at horses, I think they'll start to see things and they'll go, yeah, that one looks really fit. That looks really healthy. Well, Jane, I think it is safe to say on behalf of all of our listeners that this has been enlightening and we cannot wait firstly for you to get back on our screens. But in the meantime, I think you've really helped educate everybody that might have been a little bit uncertain of some of the specifics when it comes to what we're looking for and what we're hearing from Mounting Yard Analysts. So thank you so much, Jane, for your time. We are so happy and proud to have had you on Ladies Who Punt. Well, I love what you guys are doing. So I'm happy to be involved and uh, give as much knowledge and information as I can to punters out there. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Grace, that was a fantastic interview with Jane Ival. So interesting and so informative. But now it is time to move on to our All-Star Mile preview. Where do you want to start? 
Zaki is our favourite for the All-Star Mile at the moment at around $3-ish in betting. And he absolutely deserves to be because he is a three-times Group 1 winner that now finds himself second up at 1,600 metres in a race that his trainer, Annabelle Nisham, has said for some time this will be a race where he will be primed for $5 million up for grabs. He will be in it to win it. And he is just an absolute superstar of the Australian racing scene at the moment. There's hardly a bigger name than Zaki, and he deserves favouritism in a race like this. Now, in terms of what he has done this preparation, he's only had the one start, and it was in the blamey stakes over 1,600 metres, where he was beaten by a rival here in Inspirational Girl. Now, that day, Inspirational Girl had a significant weight advantage on Zaki, and now she is actually four kilograms worse off when they meet at the weights again in this race, which is quite significant. Mm. Zaki sat just behind the speed on that occasion, and the leader, who was Mr. Brightside, went at an absolute crawl of a tempo. They went really slowly through the run, and then it was essentially just a sprint home, a dash home. Saki was held up a touch behind the speed. Once he got clear, he was very good to finish second. Inspirational girl had momentum and was the winner of the race. Now we consider how he is going to be racing this Saturday. I expect when we're looking at the speed map, this is going to be a fast run race. Now that's a buzzword, speed map, that I want to just quickly (laughs) highlight that we will be touching on and decoding the world of speed maps and race shapes in a future episode because it's a massive part of form analysis. We'll get to that soon. But just briefly to touch on it now, I think that this is going to be a very fast run race. There are a lot of horses in this contest, the likes of Lightsaber, Callsign Mav, even Streets of Avalon. They all like to be on speed and they all like to go at a solid tempo. So I think this will be a fast run race. Zaki has drawn barrier 15. To me, this is not a good barrier for Zaki. And that's the widest possible barrier, isn't it, Grace? Yeah, it is. So the way that I see this setting up for Zaki is that he has to go forward, uh, but whether or not he'll be able to cross and actually get to the front of the field easily without spending too much petrol in the early stages, that's the big question mark that I have on this horse. Now, to his benefit is the fact that he is ridden by Jamie Carr, who is an absolute superstar of a jockey. In case you missed it, on Adelaide Cup Day on Monday, she rode five winners. Wow. Which is huge. And she will get it right. But I'm just, my only reservation with Zaki is only second up in his campaign off a slowly run first up run, whether he has got that fitness under his belt to do plenty of work in the early stages and also be very strong over the concluding stages of the race. There'll be other horses that'll be charging at him at the end of this race. Whether he will be slightly vulnerable is my slight risk, but he's a proper group one horse and he can win the all-star mile. So from Zaki, our favourite, let's move to our second favourite. There are a few sitting around the $6 mark. The first one we want to look at is I'm Thunderstruck. So I'm Thunderstruck is now third up and at his pet distance, 1,600 metres, gets to Flemington, which is a huge tick for this horse, and is third up in his campaign. So there's a lot of positives there. Mick Price and Michael Kent Jr., this horse's trainers, they know how much ability he has gotten. Everything that's happened so far, this preparation has been targeted to this race. 
So you've got the confidence that he's he's going well, but will produce his peak performance here on Saturday. Flemington, let's talk about this track for I'm Thunderstruck. He's only been to Flemington on one occasion where he was a dominant winner. And he's the sort of horse that just loves the big tracks, the big spacious straights that allow him to build some momentum and get into his work because he's a backmarker and he loves to build up his revs and be very strong late. But there's only one problem to everything that I've just said, and it is that he has drawn barrier one. And Grace, is that because, as we've touched on in earlier episodes with I'm Thunderstruck, that he's a backmarker? It is exactly because of that. So he is a horse that doesn't have much gate speed, meaning once the gates open, there are lots of horses around him that ping the gates, they charge forward, and he sort of just gets into his work slowly and steadily. He is one that generally settles towards the rear of the field. Backmarkers often need a lot of luck in running at the best of times, but when you draw barrier one as a backmarker, there is pretty much on paper, no worse setup is the way that I see it. So a lot of people think barrier one can be a huge advantage, but for a horse like I'm Thunderstruck, it's basically the worst barrier that he could have drawn. So it's not a great start fee for this horse's winning chances, but we know that he's got enough ability to win a race like this. He has done nothing wrong in the first two starts this preparation. So if he gets the luck in running, he can absolutely be in the finish here, but he's going to probably need to do a lot of ducking and weaving through the field from that inside draw where he'll be buried back on the rail to be able to do that. So that's I'm Thunderstruck. Let's look at the other horses that are at $6 second in the betting. The next one is Inspirational Girl. Yeah, it just goes to show, doesn't it, when you've got three horses at around that $6 on the second line of betting, uh, meaning that they all are sharing second favoritism, how competitive this race is. Mm. I must say, I think that Inspirational Girl is my tip in the all-star mile. I think I'm with the girl from WA. (laughs) Now, let me explain why. So last start, she won the blamey stakes. She beat Zaki that day. Now, inspirational girl did carry 53 kilograms, and now she has to carry 57 kilograms. So she is disadvantaged at the weight scale compared to Zaki from that occasion. But I also think there's a lot in her favour that might counter that additional weight that she's got to carry. She is third up for this. This is, again, her target race, as it is for a lot of the horses. It's a $5 million event. But she has got some outstanding form over 1,600 metres. She won at last start in what was a slowly run dash home sort of a race shape. But her best win to date was over 1,600 metres in the Group 1 Railway Stakes back in WA in 2020. And that was run at a very fast tempo. So that race, the Railway Stakes, was run at a similar tempo to what I anticipate the All-Star Mile to be run at. And what I'm taking out of that win back in WA in the railway is that she thrives in fast run races. We haven't seen Inspirational Girl in a fast run race this campaign yet, but I'm banking on the fact that it'll happen this Saturday, now third up, targeted for this race. She can be really effective under that sort of race shape. And also she's drawn barrier four which again, she's a horse that probably settles toward the rear of the field, but she's got enough gate speed for Damien Lane to possibly put her in the race, just midfield, potentially a touch better, a pair or two pairs back. 
So there's a lot that I like about Inspirational Girl, namely that I think the fast tempo of this race is going to suit her and we're going to see her go better than we've seen recently from Inspirational Girl. And she beat Zaki last start. Mm. There's a lot to like about her. There sure is. And the third horse that's sitting at $6 at the moment when we've recorded this episode is Pinstripe. What are your thoughts on him, Grace? Well, Pinstripe is the first of the three-year-olds in the market. So there are three three-year-olds in this race. They all add their own element of X Factor because we just don't know how good they are yet. And Pinstriped at $6 is definitely the one with the best winning chance. Pinstriped comes through the Australian Guineas last start where going into that run, at 1,600 metres at Flemington, so track and distance, he was undefeated. He'd had three starts for three wins and climbing from 1,100 to 1,200 to 1,400 metres. Then he got to the 1,600 metres of the Group 1 Australian Guineas two weeks ago. Now, he was way out the back of the field in this race, which was run at a brutal tempo. They absolutely rolled along up front. It was a very genuine contest, a real test of stamina. And Pinstriped was horrifically unlucky. He had absolutely nowhere to go for the majority of the straight. Everywhere Mick D went, the gaps would close. And there wasn't much McD could have done about it. It was just a real traffic jam for Pinstriped. If he had have got clear, no doubt he would have finished closer. He potentially could have won that race. Mm. So I think going into that race, a lot of people wanted to see how Pinstriped would go out to 1,600 metres. Well, given how fast they went and how much of a stamina test it was, he's ticked that box, 100% ticked that box. That means that there's a lot of appeal about him in a now wait for age 1,600 metre contest where they're probably going to roll along as well. I can understand why people are making a very strong case for him, but it is only his fifth ever career start and he's got to go up against some proper group one horses here. And I think he'll run well, but for me, he probably just needs to prove himself again. I want to see how he goes at this level before being confident to tip him as a winning chance. Okay, Grace. So we've just had a good look at the all-star mile. You've given us all of your thoughts on the top chances what is going to be your bet? Who are you backing? Are you going to have multiple bets? What What are you going to do for the All-Star Mile? Well, that's a really tricky question, Fee, because we've just been through it and I reckon I've talked myself in circles. <laughs> uh, it's just one of those races where it's so hard um, to try and work out who the winner is. But I am siding with Inspirational Girl. I just think that she has had a faultless preparation she beat Zaki last start who is one of her main rivals here and I think that the prospect of a fast run 1600 meter all-star mile on Saturday is really to her benefit and from barrier four Damien Lane should be able to get her in a good position it also I suppose it's also the fact that I've got a couple of knocks when it comes to I'm Thunderstruck and also Zaki from the barrier draw perspective that gives me more confidence that Inspirational Girl, fingers crossed, gets a smooth passage and can be the winner of this race. At $6, she is my main bet in this contest. In terms of some of those at a bigger price fee, I think that Cascadian and Mr. Brightside are both potentially worth an each-way bet or a one-by-three bet where you might have $5 the win and $15 the place. 
um, you know, they're $17, $20 around that mark. And they are both up to this if they get the right run in transit. And from barrier two for Brightside and six for Cascadian, I think they will get those right runs. So they would probably be my two each way plays. But, you know, what we've spoken about with the horses in the market, you know, there are so many other horses as well that can go ex- extremely well that we haven't even touched on. So it's a very deep race and everybody should have a, a, the opportunity and the go at forming their own opinion. So good luck, everybody. It's going to be a really tough contest. Uh, I can't wait to see how it all unfolds. And that is all we have time for in this week's episode. We hope you enjoyed our interview with Jane Ival and that you now have a better understanding of how the mounting yard can really help you in your selections for a race. And good luck to you at home as well for your form analysis, your own opinion and assessment in terms of who is the winner of the feature race this Saturday, the All-Star Mile. Now, here on Ladies Who Punt, we are actually having a very short spell we're going to the paddock just for two weeks freshen up uh we're having a very quick break but don't (laughs) worry because we will be back in your ears very soon and when we next all get together we will be moving our focus from melbourne to the sydney autumn carnival but until then if you are keen for more ladies who punt content make sure you join us on our socials you can find us on instagram twitter and facebook And until our next episode, make sure you enjoy your racing. And thank you once again for tuning in to Ladies Who Punt. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.